0: Lord, we thank you that you hear, God, that you see the things that are happening in our lives and you see, Lord, not just what's happening currently, but you know exactly where it's going. And so, Lord, I ask for the patience for this body, Lord, to be able to wait and see what you're going to do. God, there's a lot of uncertainty in all of our lives and we see it. We see it in the general sense in our world right now, but Lord, individually as well, there's uncertainty on a number of levels for us. And God, I pray that we would see that placing our lives in your hands and walking by faith is the only thing for us to do. God, I thank you that as difficult as it is that you remove safeties from us, Lord, that are of this world and teach us complete reliance on you. And I pray, God, that you would continue to do that. Lord, as much as... My flesh doesn't want anything to do with it. God, I pray that you would cause us to walk by faith and not by sight. That you would lead us by the power of your spirit. And God, that we would see just how powerful you are in the midst of uncertainty. God, would you teach us from your word this morning? I thank you for this church, Lord. My heart is so full just seeing these faces and being in the same room with them. It's so exciting to be with people. Lord, that love you and want to walk with you. And so, God, would you just, in our individual hearts right now, till up the soil, prepare it to receive from you. Lord, speak to us by the power of your spirit. May these be your words. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys. We're back to Daniel, chapter 2. Turn there with me this morning. I make no promises on how long this will (laughs) take. So, uh, <laughs> right up till 11, right up till the next service. So, uh, Daniel chapter 2 is our destination and it's, it's difficult in some of these passages because there's so many amazing things inside. Um, to, to make really great headway but we'll, we'll make a little bit of it today um, i want to remind you guys that daniel and his friends at the end of the first chapter we noted something about them as nebuchadnezzar had them come in and he interviewed them and compared them to the other wise men the magicians and the sorcerers and all the different types there's six different types of um, wise men or you know counselors that that are going to be listed in daniel that nebuchadnezzar had six different types and it's interesting as they were compared to these guys these young men, Daniel most likely at the end of his three-year trial, being about 18 or 19 years old, that they were shown to be 10 times better than the other guys around them. And we know this wasn't because they had a great workout routine. It wasn't P90X. The thing that, the, that really set them apart was God. It was God. God was the one who was filling them with wisdom, and he had honored their choices to prioritize him. And to put his things first uh, with the eating of the vegetables and drinking water, like we're not going to defile ourselves with the king's foods. (laughs) My wife's smirking at me because we had a conversation about this yesterday. She's like, see, vegetables and water. It's in the Bible. I'm like, it was a supernatural thing. Like, that's not supposed to happen. That's all you need in life, dear. Lima beans and water. But you guys, we we see God do something miraculous. And, and they're more healthy than all the other young men around them that are raised up and they're being brought into, we could say indoctrinated into the Babylonian lifestyle. And so due to the Lord's blessing... He does this because they honor him, and chapter one ends with us feeling pretty good about this exilic experience. You're like, all right, I think life's going to go, If I mean, if Daniel ended at the end of chapter one, you'd be like, and he lived to the days of Cyrus, that puts him most likely in his 90s, you know, that's Persian Empire, so Daniel, you know, he's got it, it's, it's all right, no problem. Well, now we get to the body of the letter, now we get to the meat of what's going on, and we find out that Daniel's life is not going to be simple. Daniel's life isn't going to be easy. In fact, we find him in a life and death situation almost immediately after passing his three-year test. Daniel is put to the test right away, and we're going to see how he and the boys handle this situation. Shakespeare was right when he wrote in Henry IV, Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Uneasy is the head that wears the crown. So there's a lot of responsibility there. Rulers that possess unlimited power and authority, such as Nebuchadnezzar, Often were noted throughout history as temperamental, as violent, and unpredictable. And so when you have a man who has absolute power, they tend to abuse that power eventually, even if they start out kind of good. And so that uneasiness that Shakespeare describes becomes a deadly additive for those who are surrounding him and who are his counselors and that really sets the stage for understanding where we're going in chapter 2. Now it's interesting to note this and you'll notice it right away if you're, if you're looking for it but Daniel and his friends don't seem to be in this first gathering of the magicians and the astrologers and the different guys around, the Chaldeans, the wise men. We don't really see them included in this and we'll see that when we get to verse 15. Um, but Daniel and the boys are not included in this first convening of the wiser men. It makes sense And we remember that they were young That they were young and they were in a new system And so most likely their ideas and their their opinions They were revered like hey these guys are really good These are the up and coming guys But it seems that Nebuchadnezzar goes to his senior advisors Here in chapter 2 And that will help us with our understanding Of the responses of Daniel beginning in verse 15 And we are going to get to verse 15 If I ever stop rambling Okay verse 1 Let's get to Daniel 2 In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him, and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And when they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream, and I'm anxious to understand it. The Chaldeans spoke to the king. Now, I don't know if your Bible notes this, but this is where it switches to Aramaic. Switches from Hebrew to Aramaic right here. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. I can't help. I know that's like formal and that's what they would have to do. It's just funny to me. May the king live forever. And he's like, but you won't. Okay, so here's the thing. So for you Bible students, you may have noticed That the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign is mentioned here, and yet we're told in chapter 1, verse 5, that Daniel and the boys were to be trained for three years. There's these weird reckonings between Hebrew calendar and between Babylonian calendar, and this is easy to figure out. The Babylonian reckoning of Daniel's second year of training was considered the first year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So his second year of training would have been Nebuchadnezzar's first year reign. Because he already had a year, and so when it gets to the year mark, we're like, you're one year old. No, technically the Babylonian calendar would work differently. And so the king's dream that he sought interpretation for, most would triangulate this at about 602, right after Daniel had finished his training, 6601 and 602 B.C. Or, sorry, other direction. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Great, I'm glad I could confuse you. And now Daniel and his friends had completed their training, and the king has this dream. Now, when kings are troubled about their dreams... It's going to trouble the kingdom. But the way that Nebuchadnezzar is going to go about this is unique. But I want to note this before we get too far. God gave these dreams to Nebuchadnezzar. The the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar is going to have, God is giving him these dreams. How do we know that? Because they have a prophetic message in them. God is revealing these things. Hold up to Nebuchadnezzar, a Gentile, brutal, dominant, ultra-power-crazy man. He's setting the stage, God is, for his glory to be revealed, and he's going to do it through Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he's going to use Daniel and the boys, but isn't this interesting that God would reveal a dream such as this to a pagan Gentile? And we see God do this in the past. We know that he's done this in the Old Testament and other places. You think of Pharaoh and the dream that he had that Joseph would interpret about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine, he appeared to Abimelech and told him he was dead meat for taking Sarah into his harem when she was married to Abraham. Remember that? Can you imagine being Abimelech, by the way? (laughs) You're dead. What? What did I do? He's like, standard practice, we bring these gals in. How was I supposed to know? You know. And he gets mad at Abraham. You almost got me killed by the living God. (laughs) It's an interesting thing to say to somebody. But this is not unheard of in the Old Testament that God would himself reveal either a vision or himself directly to a pagan ruler. And whenever we see this happen, I think we have to stop and reflect on the grace of God. We need to reflect on the grace of God and remember this is the God who loves all people. He loves all people. And we see these nations that get so corrupt and twisted, especially as we read through, you know, the stories of first and second Samuel. You're like, why was it that at this point God brought Saul to destroy this nation? Because God's patience and forbearance is for all. And he is giving them mercy continually, even in the midst of their sickness. And we should see ourselves in the same light as we look at our country and go, how has God not just whacked this country upside the head yet? Because God is showing grace. God is being patient, God is giving mercy. Remember that, we're on borrowed time. He won't forbear forever. God's going to do what's just. He's going to do what's holy, but he is giving grace right now and he is buying the church time to do the work that he brought us here to do. And we need to be about that work. We see a picture of the grace of God as he speaks to Nebuchadnezzar and gives him this vision, but We know this as well. If uneasy is the head that wears the crown, I'll add that grumpy is the king who's not getting his beauty sleep. So here, and and, and don't think that that doesn't play into this, by the way. If the king's not sleeping, he's already upset. And now he's doubting his wise men. We'll see this in a minute. It makes sense. So Nebuchadnezzar summons his counselors. And I want to point out the types of counselors that are mentioned in Daniel at this point. Now, throughout the book, there's six different expressions for the king's counselors. Here, four of them are used. And so let me show you these. The first two are the magicians and mediums. And it'll be on the screen behind me. Carson, you're the man. Thank you. The word for magicians comes from a root that means engraver. And so when you see these different words, it's, it's just kind of fun information. This is the Bible class part of me, right? This isn't really like the, you know, the, the preaching side. But, um, that, that's a word that you would get for engraver. It refers to those who engrave Babylonian religious activities and astrological movements on like clay tablets. So these are the guys that are like the recorders, if you will. And then, Next, you have the word mediums, which means conjurers. It would refer to those who use spells and incantations to communicate with the spirit world. Um, These would be members of the occult. Uh, The Hebrew word for sorcerers comes from the Akkadian word that means witchcraft. You could probably link them with the other guys. They probably had similar practice. And then the Chaldeans, and you'll see this referred to, especially in our dialogue from this morning, that the Chaldeans will respond. You can almost use this as a group. Um, it's both an ethnic term for Babylonian people, and as used here, it's a specific term for priests who served as astrologers, soothsayers, and wise men in the king's government. So this would wrap in a number of people, and you'll see the Chaldeans are the ones who are dialoguing with Nebuchadnezzar in this text. Now, Daniel, 18 to 19 years old at this time. Now, remembering his age and his newly acquired position compared to the older, more senior counselors that were surrounding the king, it makes sense why Daniel and his friends weren't present for this meeting. It makes sense why they're kind of blindsided by what happens at the end of this meeting. So the king wants to understand his dream and he wants the wise men to show it to him. Now, he tells them this, I'm anxious to know what this dream means and they respond very sensibly, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. Now, I say sensibly because that's how we work. You know, we like to operate with the most information as possible, but the king has another plan. Now, the language switch, before we read verse 5, the language switch is important. When they respond, it switches to Aramaic. Why is that important for people who are wanting to show others that the Bible is the authentic word of God and that when it says it was written in a time period, it actually was. It's not being forged to look that way. Because only a man who is trained in the hebrew language and grew up in jerusalem to a certain extent would both be able to write and speak a language switch to aramaic for a primary portion of his letter write it clearly understand it clearly then switch back to hebrew in chapter 8 for the prophetic section in fact switching in between those two doesn't make sense for any other time period except right around here when the exilic activities began and so when you see this happen in the book the original language hebrew aramaic back to hebrew again it's another one of those factors that says this was written by daniel in the time period that we see it and that's important massively important with the body of daniel why because it's a prophetic message And it's going to speak to things that have not yet come. And people, when they read the book of Daniel, will say, you see, no one could predict that. And Daniel's about to say, you see, God can predict that. He's seen it. And so this gives more validity to the text you're reading by seeing the language switch. It doesn't devalue the book of Daniel. It gives actual credence to what he's saying and shows us that we are in the time period that he claims to be in. Okay, isn't that fun? Verse 5. This is where the story gets interesting. So the king replies to the Chaldeans. He says, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. But if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you'll receive gifts, a reward, and great honor from me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. Verse 7, they answered a second time. May the king tell the dream to his servants and we will make known the interpretation. They're like parrots, right? (laughs) Verse 8, the king replied, I know for certain you are trying to gain some time because you see that my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream, there is one decree for you. You've conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream and I will know you can give its interpretation. You know, I love it when the dialogue in, in Scripture is so clear that there's really just not a lot to to talk about. I find things. But there's, you know, there's. it's just so clear. It's like, these guys are in big trouble. The king's figured them out. He's like, you're so wise. You see the future. You can tell all these events that are coming. Prove it. Tell me what I dreamed. Tell me what the dream was before. You interpret it for me. Now, when it says my word is final, some translations have been the dream is forgotten, but it's pretty clear here, I think, that the statement my word is final, if you look at the original language, is referring to the finality of the king's demand. In other words, this is what it is. I'm not moving on this. I'm not going to give you any wiggle room. You're going to answer me. And we see that based upon how he responds in a minute. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is doing something that's smart. He's testing his wise men. Now, I won't say that it's smart in the end, with his reaction to them not being able to do it. That's not smart. That's pretty brutal and violent. But you're like, ooh, teasers. Yeah, that's right. I'm teasing you. Just stay with me here. So, But here's here's the point of that. He wants them to prove themselves, to prove that the ability that they have is divinely given. Prove to me that you have a source here that is supernatural, that you can do things that are not ordinary, Right? outside of human ability. Now, in my mind, just the way that I work, I-, I thought of 1 Kings 18. I thought of this differentiation that happens between the God of Israel, the God of the Lord of Lords, and between Baal. And remember that showdown on Mount Carmel with with Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And he's like, listen, you need to decide. He says, how long are you going to waffle between two opinions? How long are you going to bounce back and forth? Decide who you're going to serve today. And so there's this showdown on Mount Carmel, and it's awesome. And in verse 24, Elijah says this, you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers with fire. He is God. He says, whoever answers by fire, then he wins. We'll serve him. Right? And so here Daniel is going to be put in this situation because rather than demanding that this be revealed by fire, the king is demanding that the revelation of this dream be shown through these men and the interpretation given. He's saying this, prove to me that you're tapped into a higher power and these guys got nothing. They have nothing. See, what Daniel's going to prove and show is the glory of the God of Israel. He's going to show them the power of the true God in this situation. Something that's going to require divine power to flow through an interpreter and a true show of sovereign, empowered ability. The wise men of Babylon, they're up the river. And so much like someone who's been called to show up Some real power when it's all been smoke and mirrors to this point. The stakes are high. This isn't just, you're fired, right? You're fired. It's, it's not gonna come down to that. It's not, they're not gonna get fired if they don't, if they don't do it. Sorry. (laughs) I apologize. Just one little change of the voice. But if you, if you put yourselves in this position, your lives are on the line. Your family's lives are on the line. Your home's going to be a dumpster fire at the end of this. So understandably, what people do who are not in relationship with God, they stall for time. I want you to notice this. This whole text that we're looking at this morning is about being able to differentiate between who you serve when the when your life is on the line, when the situation is dire, when things are really intense or things are really bad, where do you go? Are you stalling for time? Are you looking for explanations? Are you looking for justification of what you've done thus far? Or are you going to your knees in prayer, calling upon the power of God who lives in you? Where do we go when we're in these situations of distress? What differentiates us between the way the world reacts? and the way that we react in Christ. And so they say a second time, may the king tell the dream to his servants and we'll make it known. In other words, we need more time. We have to figure out what we're going to do here. This is bad. The king sees right through it. And the paraphrase, I won't tell you from which biblical translation, reads this way. You're going to know as soon as I say it. I know what you're up to. You're just playing for time. You know you're up a tree. (laughs) It's not my favorite biblical translation, but that kind of made me laugh a little bit. I was like, it's true. He's like, you know you're in it. You know you're up a tree. You know you're in trouble. And there seems to have been some suspicion on Nebuchadnezzar's part as to how much real insight and power these men had. There was already some suspicion, I believe, based on his reaction in this. He wants them to prove themselves. He demands the same thing. Tell me the dream and the interpretation. So verse 10, the Chaldeans, they they just admit it. Here, check it out. No one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. Now they're so right and so wrong at the same time. They're so right in the fact that in this respect, no one on earth can make this dream and interpretation known to them on their own, not without the revelation of God himself. They're right in that respect. But the one that they would look to to give them that information is powerless and pointless and an inanimate object that can't do anything for them. They're looking to the wrong source. They recognize the lack. They recognize when they look at it and say, we can't do this. And yet they will try and draw from a source that cannot give it to them either. People, how how similar is this to us? I can't do this. I need a drink. I can't do this. I need some drugs or I need something. I I, I need some kind of admiration. I, I, I have to fill that thing. I need something to give me the strength to get through this or get by it or get around it. And it's one of these things. And God says, all of them, useless, powerless, pointless. The only one that can reveal the dream and interpret the dream and give you the power to live out these things is God himself. And so where do we turn to for power? Where do we turn to to be able to do the things that we know we're supposed to do or face the situations that we're in? If we are crumbling and falling apart currently because of COVID or any other situation, if we're falling apart, we are not relying on Christ. We are not relying on his strength. We are tapping in to the wrong source of power, just like these guys. And we're facing situations where we're going, uh, uh, uh. we don't have any answers. No one can reveal but God. And we serve a God who has revealed himself to men. Amen? We serve a God who has revealed himself to men. All of these other gods are shadows. They're ideas. They're they're thoughts that have been contrived in the minds of finite beings. But God has revealed himself to men. How? Hebrews 1. You know, if you want to look for a way to to explain this, describe this, just let the Bible do it. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Hey, look, the prophets, what we're reading. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. By the way, I'll add this, proving that he had finished the job that he set out to do. You are sanctified, you are clean, you are saved from your sin, amen? That's how. That's how God has communicated to us. That's how God has revealed himself to us. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. The Chaldeans confess we don't have any connection to this power. We have no way to do this. Nobody can. Only the gods could do this. Well, you could expect how Nebuchadnezzar would take this news. Look at verse 12. Because of this. Now, I, i uh, really quick. Sorry. I know I started it and I stopped. Hold on. It's like your parent when they keep pausing something to point out in a movie. Oh, look at that. See? I'll go back. Dad, we haven't gotten past this in like 10 minutes. Think about this. Did you notice how they answered him? You ever, you ever been in a, a conversation with somebody and it just starts ratcheting up? Like you raise your voice a little bit, that person raises their voice a little You get a little frustrated. They get a little more frustrated. And, and things just kind of escalate. Married people, we've never been through this. And so you, you know what this is like when you get in one of these conversations and you see the king go, do this or you're dead. Tell us the dream. No, do this or you're dead. You can't do that to us. Nobody knows how to do this. There's no king in the history of the whole world. Isn't it funny? Because that's exactly how we argue. No one is married to somebody who would ask them to do that. (laughs) The king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. That's it. Everyone dies. Grumpy is the king who's deprived his beauty sleep. He's done. He's absolutely done. He may regret it later, he may not, but it's going to happen. The decree was issued, verse 13, that the wise men were to be executed. They searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Enter Daniel into the story for the first time since the beginning of chapter two. Now look at verse 14. Then Daniel, oh, you guys, Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Ariok, the king's officer. Why is the decree from the king so harsh? Then Ariok explained the situation to Daniel. Did you notice that? A matter of life and death presents itself. These guys don't even know why Arioch showed up at the door. What does Daniel do? By the way, if Arioch is there to execute the king's order, how much time does Daniel have in that moment? Zero you're going to talk this man out of it or you're going to die, right? And there's no fight in Daniel in this situation. We talked about this in chapter one. You know, I read you guys that quote from Warren Wearsby where he was like, the guys, when they, when they felt like they were being asked something, to do something that violated their, their freedom to worship God or their ability to stay pure as good Hebrew boys would in this situation, they didn't start up a committee, begin a riot, you know, uprise against them and start fighting their way out. What did they do? They sought the counsel of God. They came to them and asked permission. They gently asked permission, test us and we'll show you that our God is powerful. And yet again here, Daniel doesn't go, guys, get the swords. You know, like they probably didn't have them, but like, you know, pick up the furniture. We're going to fight Ariok off and get our way out of here. No, what does he say? It says that he approached Ariok with tact and Discretion just as he asked permission to eat only vegetables and water and let God work through that situation through gentle speech and respect and supernatural power, also, here he uses tact and he uses discretion to approach the captain of the king's guard with the execution order in hand. The stakes could not be higher for them. We often justify our sinful response based upon what happened. We often justify an overreaction or a sinful reaction based on what led up to it. Yeah, but this. I had a few yeah, but conversations this last week. You know, you're gone for a couple weeks. The, the pile kind of builds up on the desk, and you start talking to people. Things are going wrong. Something's something's up. This, And some of these situations are a big deal. And and not not all of them are like, who's in a big deal situation? No, 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 no. It's not like some of these people are not in our fellowship. It's just people that I've I've counseled for years. And so talking with some of these people, I I notice this because I'm in the text, I'm studying, and I and I'm I'm just, you know, it's always there marinating and they're like, Yeah, but they did this. That doesn't justify what you're doing. That doesn't justify the choices you made. You know how God expects you to respond. Well, I'd like to see you do better in this situation. You know, like, there's these kind of things that are said, and it's like, well, you're, I'm not saying I, you know, I would just rush in and and do a better job than you're doing, but you're still trying to justify what you're doing rather than doing what God has asked you to. Don't make excuses. We can't make excuses as Christians. We have to do what the Lord has asked us to do. And the circumstances leading up to that choice, yes, they can hurt us, they can wound us, but it doesn't give us the reason. It doesn't give us the freedom. The sin it doesn't give us the freedom to do the wrong thing the factors in play i'm not saying they don't exist and they're not real what i'm saying is is they cannot tell you or dictate to you how you respond christ tells you how to respond jesus told you how to do this somebody keyed my car this week for no reason i kid you not big old scratches and i was very upset I was quite displeased, but you know what? I was so convicted when I was like, man, I tell you what, if I was, what would you do? Love my enemy. <sighs> mm, ask him if I could pray for him, maybe you guys, these are the situations that God's like, how you doing in your walk? You know, it's easy when life's easy. You put that on a t-shirt, right? It's easy when life's easy. It's the easy button. It's that staples button, you know? We just want to hit the easy button all the time. I have something I need to talk to you about. Yes, you're beautiful. I know! (laughs) I love this easy button. It doesn't exist. It's fictional. You guys understand that the situations that we find ourselves in, when the person rams you with the cart for no good reason, you turn around and they go... Mm, we we have to find a way to represent christ in those situations we have to love our enemies and just because the situation is dire and it presents itself in a life and death situation to daniel and the boys doesn't justify them of trying to get out of it he uses that same tact that same discretion that same wisdom that god gave him says hold up hold up hold up don't lose your cool let's talk about this what why is he so mad he uses wisdom he stays calm life and death We freak out when someone buys the last roll of toilet paper. You guys, there's no excuse for us to not represent Christ in any situation. He's empowered us to do so. He's not asking you to do it on your own strength. Be filled with the Spirit. How essential is it for us to seek the Lord in the morning in prayer and to stay in His Word for just what we're going to be going through that day? For just such a thing as name your situation. So Daniel doesn't lose his cool. Now God does something powerful and you may miss it if you went too quickly here. So I'm not going to go too quickly. We've got a little bit of time. God honors his approach. Look at verse 16. Daniel went at once to see the king. Did you notice that? Daniel went to to Nebuchadnezzar himself. Now, who did... Sorry, I know I'm stopping in the midst of a reading here. I'm right in the middle of a verse. Gosh, Mike, just finish the verse. Hold on. You recognize... That this is the king that just sent Ariok to kill all the wise men in Babylon. Right? And Daniel walks in, requests more time to tell the king what the dream meant. What did the other guys request? (laughs) Tell us the dream. You know, they're, they're just, they're freezing up. They asked for, for, you know, just more information or anything. And that says Daniel somehow walks in and gets more time. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went home, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. Don't miss the incredible U-turn, the 180, that Daniel somehow, by the way, we know it's not Daniel, this is God turns on nebuchadnezzar he shows up and he gives him time what was it don't you want to know what daniel said you know i know it's not in the bible god's like you're not supposed to i know i just i get curious you know i want to know what he said i don't think daniel buttered him up i think daniel just went and was really honest with him we don't know but either way the king sent him home with time That is something that only God could orchestrate. That man is angry and he has the power to have Daniel killed right there in the room and he gives him time. I don't know what Daniel said, but the Lord is at work here. You guys, I want to point something out to you and we'll close with this. Being able to differentiate between those who belong to the Lord and those who do not. Often... The opportunity to do so often presents itself when the people of God pray, when the people of God seek his face and do things his way. Now, God can show grace. And I say often when I talk about that happening, because God will show grace and use and work through us even when we're being chumps, right? (laughs) Seeing God do things in my life and it's like, wow, Mike, you must have just prayed over that so much. No, I literally ran in and it happened. Like, I mean, it just, there wasn't a lot of preparation. But I believe oftentimes in our lives, the thing that separates us or is going to make very apparent that we are different than those who do not belong to God is it's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of submission to God. It's a matter of dedication to God. And so I want you to think about this. How are we different? How are we different than the world around us? And not just how, but is it visible? The way that we're handling our current climate, is it visible? Is is it visibly different than the way the world is handling it? You know, and I'm putting myself on the line here because God did this on, on purpose. You know, don't you love when God does this on purpose? God allowed me to go through something this week that made me very, very angry to prove his point that I daily need to die to self. That I daily need to be filled with the Spirit. That I need to be looking for opportunities and not making excuses when the circumstances make me want to react sinfully. You guys, we need to be submitted to Him because what we're going through right now, how we're handling it, it matters greatly. It should differentiate the power in us from the lack of power in the world. Malachi chapter 3. Spoken to the people of Judah. Uh, If you've, if you've never read Malachi, I encourage you to do so. There's, there's some really cool, like, dialogue, answer back and forth that goes on inside Malachi. I taught it for our home group years ago. And, and it was really fun to kind of read that with the group and talk about these conversations that are happening. That God's like, I'll say this, and you say this, and I say this, and then you would say that. And like, and he kind of gives this, this real visible, like, back and forth between his people and himself. He continues that idea in Malachi chapter three, and we'll close with this. It says this, verses 13 through 18. Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said it's useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. (laughs) You haven't thought that recently, have you? They get away with everything. You never said that? Everything they do. They they don't care. They just keep going and going and going, and God does nothing, right? The Lord, verse 16. At that time, those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies, my own possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. Notice verse 18. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. God is keeping a book. Now, some people are like, is there a real book? I don't know, but the idea is there, right? Think of what what the Book of Remembrance, all the ancient kings had these. The Book of Remembrance, they would write down these these certain events that happened. It's how we understand a lot about ancient kingdoms. We remember this from the Book of Esther. Remember that? Is it Xerxes? I always get a hazardous Xerxes. I think it's Xerxes. He says, I can't sleep. Read me from the book. So they start reading to him this from the book of remembrance, the book of the kings. And what happens? He goes, wait a minute. Mordecai did this, and we didn't recognize him? What reward did he receive, right? And they're like, zero. And he's like, all right. Here's what you're going to do. Make Haman miserable. (laughs) But here's the thing. Like... Here's here's how that works out. You think about this in the context of what God's talking about here. He says, I am keeping a book of remembrance of what? Those who honor me with their lives, those who commit themselves to me, those who obey me. They're going to be my possession on the day I'm preparing. I'm going to have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son. Great connections there. We're not going to do it because we don't have time all the way to the Gospels. But so you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. People, don't grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6, 9, in due season you will reap if you don't give up. Don't give up. Keep doing good. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep doing things God's way no matter what the climate around you is. We saw this work out for Daniel. We've seen God remember him and use him in these situations. There are a number of ways in the Bible that God shows the difference between those who belong to him and those who don't. And here on the stage, here's this group of guys that have zero power, and the king is going to just wipe everyone out because of them. And Daniel and the boys are going to step in, and they're going to call upon the name of the Lord. And you can guess what's coming next week when we go further on. God's going to reveal the dream to him. And he's going to give him the interpretation. And Daniel's going to take that to the king and show him that the king of kings is God Almighty. That Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know everything, but God does. And I can't wait to get to Daniel 4. Daniel 4 is so unique, and I'm not, I'm just, we we can't. But I can't wait to get to Daniel 4. Because Nebuchadnezzar gets into this whole thing, and he starts talking. He's like, I'm Nebuchadnezzar, I did this, this, and this. Let me tell you about my experience with the God of heaven. Let me tell you about what I went through and experienced with this God, this King of Kings, this Lord of glory. It's awesome. Our God has the power to reveal dreams because He gives those dreams. Our God has the power to, through us, give interpretation for those things. He's given that to us in His Word. Our God can reveal future because He's already seen it. He can save because He is life. Remember who you serve. Remember that it matters how we live. Even in the small things, even at Walmart when you just are so angry because that person just pushed your kid out of the way and grabbed the last box of Fruit Loops. You guys, <laughs> real world situations, okay? Like these are you're like, "Mike's buying Fruit Loops. I need them." But here's the point. Do we recognize that it's also in the small things that he will give us great victories? What Daniel did in private in chapter one is now in the public sphere. What Daniel did privately between the guy who was over, you know, the, the young men and, and, and talking to him about, you know, we, we'll just, we want to eat vegetables, we want to drink water. You realize how much what we practice in secret will reveal itself in the public eye. You guys, we have to keep these things locked away in our hearts. We need to continue to not only for ourselves stay in the word and seek the Lord's face in prayer, but to teach our kids to do the same. Because they're going to face a world that we have not seen yet. They're going to face situations that we have not seen yet. Also important why generations start getting together. Why the older generations start talking to the younger generations going, this is what it was like for me, and this is what it's like for you. Are you preparing not for this, but for how it's going to be when your kids come around? Are you ready to raise them in a world that is bereft of morality? Because you shouldn't be disheartened. That was the days of Jesus. I mean, when Peter was giving all his instruction to the church, he was giving his instruction to the church in light of Nero being in charge. You know, if you don't know much about Nero, read it with a filter. It gets rough. So you think about the days we're going towards and how this digresses. You guys remember these things. We're going to face situations maybe even similar to Daniel. Are we prepared in our hearts and practicing in private something that we're going to have to bring into the public sphere very soon? God's going to shine through these guys. My prayer is that he will be able to shine through us because we are as prepared as they were. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the encouragement in Daniel. Lord, there are so many more things we could talk about, but I pray, Lord, that what has been said, God, will have been exactly what you needed to communicate. Lord, I ask that as we... Worship, before we close, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts individually as to how these things pertain. God, to us individually right now, to our families right now, I pray that you would give parents keen insight on how to mentor and raise their children. I pray that you would give grandparents keen insight on how to continue to influence and pour wisdom into the generations below them. God, we are going to be challenged. We're going to be tested. And Lord, as Daniel and his friends were tested, I find that you would, I pray, Lord, that you would find in us a reliance on you. Lord, that our faith would be strengthened in process, but you would find us crying out to you and looking to you, not making excuses, not seeking for power or resource from something that can provide none of that but Lord, looking to you as the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's keep our heads bowed for just a moment. Seek for what God is speaking to your heart individually, and then we'll worship together.